Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution have just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Oh yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sattler, welcome to Jurassic Park. Welcome to Best One Since the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than a Barbasol can full of dinosaur DNA samples submerged in the symbolic muck and mire of scientific hubris into film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. Nailed it. Uh, we're back. Um, took a little bit of a break, as you probably noticed from the episode title and the artwork. We're taking a little break from the Batman series uh, and moving on to greener pastures uh, with Jurassic Park. They just announced today that Batman 2 is confirmed, so don't worry. Uh, we'll go back to Batman eventually, and sometimes you just got to move forward and start fresh, you know? So speaking of which, we are moving on to our Jurassic Park series. It's a podcast series, 65 million and 29 years in the making. We're talking about it in anticipation of the release of Jurassic Park Dominion. Anticipation is used very lightly in that, in that regard, but we'll see. It's the supposed final movie in the Jurassic Saga, which is just a crazy Thing that I would never thought I would say that there would be even more than the three of these movies. But here we are. We're here to talk about the very first one today. Uh, groundbreaking, life-changing movie for myself and it seems like for my guests. Joining me today is Jenny Krantz. Jenny, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on for this one. I'm so excited. From the start of the podcast, you said it was one that you wanted to do and, and here we are. So but before we get started... Um, do you want to tell the people listening about your um, your votive business and um, kind of talk about where they can find you on social and how to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my uh, I have a little art business, I guess, called Jenny. It's Jenny with an I-E. Uh, Jenny Marie Studio. And I do these, um, they're always kind of hard to describe. When I say hand-painted votive candle holders, I'm not sure it really gives you a picture of what they are. But um, they're all sort of inspired um, by my favorite fandoms, a lot of Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Marvel. Um, and I even did a Jurassic Park uh, collection a couple months ago. Um, and yeah, um, right now I'm kind of in flux. I'm kind of transitioning off of Etsy and trying to build a website and all that. So the easiest place to find me though is on Instagram. I'm kind of just like a pop-up shop right now. Um, but yeah, Instagram, Jenny Marie Studio. And if you want to see, um, nerdy candle holders (laughs) i think i think there's a big market out there for nerdy candle holders these things they're they're really awesome too i love that it's like they try to replicate like a 3d like diorama they're really really cool and they seem like they they uh take a long time and they're just something really 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 cool so check that out you know you said that you were super excited about doing this one and you 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 volunteered um almost when i first started the show to do this if i ever tackle Jurassic Park you said you want to be a part of it yeah <laughs> exactly you're like you better you better get me on there um but yeah so what 
what draws you to Jurassic Park? Why is this the series that that you you wanted to do first and foremost? I mean, Jurassic Park might be my I it I think it is my first and most memorable exper- like movie theater experience. Like I actually remember like I can picture where I was sitting in the theater when I first saw it. I remember jumping out of my seat um <laughs> at the scene with uh, Dr. Sattler and the Velociraptors, which is turning the power back on. This actually, um, you know, I mean, so, you know, like I'm a huge Star Wars fan and everyone kind of associates me with Star Wars, but this was probably the first thing that I ever just became head over heels obsessed with. I saw it five times in the theater, which I'm also kind of surprised because I had in my head this movie came out in 95. So I was thinking I was like 12 or 13, but it was 93. So I was 10 going on 11. And so I'm actually kind of surprised my parents let me see it. My parents were very like kind of conservative and um, yeah, like we weren't allowed to see PG-13 movies. So I I actually wish I could ask them that before we did this, but um, yeah, I remember seeing it five times and it was just like in typical Jenny fashion. I, I don't do anything like half, like within like a week or two, my bedroom was covered in dinosaur posters. Like I actually remember having to put a dinosaur poster on my ceiling because I ran out of wall space. I had a Dilophosaurus stuffed animal, which was my favorite um i had you know a lot of the toys they released like remember that t-rex with like you could take like a little chunk out of this the battle damage i do yeah and it had like the the rib cage you could see the rib cage and yeah very uh, strange but i mean it makes sense because it's dinosaurs but like what a strange feature on a toy is like take a chunk out of the dinosaur and you're like cool like i can see its bones i'm hard pressed to think of another film that i love more than this one i I think it's my favorite movie of all time i just i don't have anything really comparable in terms of the experience of seeing it in the theater and just it, it was magic it was absolute magic it's funny that you say that because it it is like i think you and i it sounds like are the almost probably the exact same age um and i feel like People even like two or three years older than us, Jurassic Park was like a big deal, but like not this big of a deal, right? Because I have a, I have a very similar relationship with it where I, you know, you see the, the previews on TV and I'm, I was like, oh my God, this is a movie with dinosaurs in it. What's going on? What is this? Um, you know, and I was, I, I was, you know, 10 years old. I wasn't allowed to see PG-13 movies. And the, the same thing kind of happened where my mom took my cousin Dave and I. She's like, guess what we're doing today? Like, we're going to see Jurassic Park. And I remember he and I just like, just going insane, like running, <laughs> like running around in circles in the kitchen and like losing our minds. And again, I also, you know, I, you know, it's selective memory, but I can also picture myself in the theater. I remember how vibrant like the Dilophosaurus like fins were, you know, and yeah. it's, and I was just so locked in and like probably didn't understand everything that was happening. Um, was terrified of the T-Rex, was terrified of the Raptors, was terrified of everything. It gave me, um, like panic attacks, but like, it was so, it was so worth seeing. Cause it was just, it was such a huge event. And we talk about major event movies on this show. That's the main focus so far, but I mean, it, it really can't be understated how huge of a deal Jurassic Park was. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. And it's like, it, it's been written about and obsessed over. And like, you know, there's, there's, it feels like a, a lot has already been said about Jurassic Park, but we just got to celebrate it because it's, it's, it, it honestly, it, it holds up so well. It's so amazing. It's just, 
the pacing is amazing. Uh, this isn't a quote that I wrote down for later, but I do remember like when I was reading, like doing research for the podcast that Steven Spielberg said it, he was used to making fine dining, but this movie moved like a fat, like fast food. Um, and I was like, that makes, I know what you mean, man. I get it. It like not a lot of nourishment here, but it's still, it's, it's just, it's just so, so good. Um, yeah, the pieces were so, there was just something so mad, so magical about it. And and the marketing was brilliant too. Like I actually went and looked this up to see if it was how I remember. Cause I remember the marketing being very like mysterious and kind of, I mean, even the movie poster itself, like it's just, it's brilliant the way they marketed it as if you were getting, ex- you feel excited for the actual park opening. Like that's what made it feel like an Great event. Point. Like this was like something in the real world. Like you, f- I mean, you know, you never, I don't even remember. I meant to look up trailers too. Like I don't even remember really seeing the dinosaurs. Like they kept everything really kind of shrouded and, and mysterious and, um, and, and like, I just, I, like the buzz around it and everything. Cause I think I had a similar experience. Like, again, I can't really remember. I don't remember the conversation between my parents or what made them decide. I don't know if they went and saw it first and decided it was okay. I don't know. Like, it was just, it's surprising to me. We were allowed to see it or I was allowed to see it when I was that young. Um, but yeah, I, I remember something said, it was like, when we learned we were getting to go, it's just like, Oh my God. What are we walking into? It was just yeah. Oh, it was an event. Like it felt like go. It felt like your parents said like we're going to Disney World, and you're like, we, mm-hmm. oh my god, we're going to Jurassic Park. And it's funny you bring that up about like the logo on the poster because between like the '89 Batman, which is the bat symbol on there. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, I did a podcast with my friend Paul, who's been on this show about Dick Tracy on his podcast, and that was another movie where the poster was just a black poster with the symbol in the middle of it, like just mm-hmm. Dick Tracy's like yeah. cartoon head. So this was like this era of just like iconography. It was just like, here it is. We're not showing you anything else. Get excited for it. But like the movie just felt like they were just going to parade real dinosaurs down the aisles. It just felt like so huge. It was It's such a big deal and it's been such a big deal and it's such a uh, culturally significant and like iconic movie that kind of took the idea of dinosaurs in a movie or just like dinosaurs movie it kind of took it off the board. If you made a a, a a big tent pole movie about dinosaurs now, they're like, this is just Jurassic Park. Like you can't yeah. what's right. the what's the right. what's the conflict of a movie about dinosaurs that take over? That's just Jurassic Park. You can't in my head it kind of makes it feel like one of the only movies, regardless of how I feel about and like the sequels or anything like that, um, and we'll talk about that obviously more as this series progresses, but like it's kind of the only franchise where like, okay, I get why they force all these stories into this mold because people would just accuse you of ripping off Jurassic Park. So you might as well make more Jurassic Park movies. Right. The only thing, yeah. the only thing I can think of that comes close are like straight to DVD movies like Velocipaster and stuff like that, where it's like, but there was a game, there was a game on PlayStation one called Dino Crisis, which came out in 99, which I thought was more contemporaneous with Jurassic Park coming out. This is even like, what if we didn't have the rights to Jurassic Park, but wanted to make a game? Like, it's pretty much the same thing. So, you know, it's a huge deal when it just wipes out the premise forever, for years to come. Um, Right. Or I feel like, like the only other time you see dinosaurs, it's like, if it's um, like the lost, not well, like not lost world, the Jurassic Park sequel, but the lost world or journey to the center of the earth or King sure. Kong or something like, you know, like that great point that kind of where like, there's a, di- the dinosaurs are there because someone's discovered a, or journey to the center of the earth, that kind of thing. But it's not sure. a dinosaur movie per se. 
Exactly. And it's, it's even funny then, because even when like the T-Rexes and King Kong, like Peter Jackson's King Kong, when they come on screen, it's like mentally you're comparing them to the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. And you're like, it doesn't look as good as that one. (laughs) You know, it's like, Like, you're still sizing it up. Yeah. Well, it's still, like you said, like you said earlier about it, just it, I, I can think of few movies that hold up as well as this one, like other than the technology, which is just, hilarious at this point um other than like the computer screens and the very 90s oh, technology yeah. I, like if this came out today with updated you know modern computer screens and whatnot like i i mean it would be ruined if it came out today i feel like we would never get this movie today because it would be overblown we'd get a big epic 10 minute dinosaur fight within the first 30 seconds like it wouldn't be exactly the same but the effects like every time i see it i'm just i'm i'm in awe of it it's that's a dinosaur that is a dinosaur that you can't convince me otherwise. Like this is, it's so real as much as I love the MCU and I love star Wars movies. I mean, it's, it's, there's few CGI characters or creatures that I feel as like I could reach out and touch them the same way as these freaking dinosaurs. They jump off the screen and it's just, it's still just like, miraculous to me like i've read how they've done everything and i still don't believe mm-hmm. it it's just one of those movies where it's like just such pure genius and like happenstance and 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 skill and luck and everything just collided to make like the perfect movie we can actually talk about how some of that magic came to be so without further ado hold on to your butts because we're heading to the control room deep in the heart of isla nublar to dive deeper into jurassic park <laughs> Obviously adapted from Michael Crichton's 1990 novel of the same name, um, Spielberg actually met Michael Crichton while developing an idea for a hospital drama that would later become, you guessed it, ER. Ever heard of it? And uh, the project was you know, highly sought after in Hollywood. This was like the IT project. Obviously, eventually landed at Universal, largely thanks to that relationship between Steven Spielberg and Michael Crichton. So he signed on to, to direct, you know, other, other interested directors or people that were attached to the project at some point, uh, Richard Donner and James Cameron. So it makes a ton of sense. Richard Donner, those are kind of like the two extremes of what Spielberg combines so well, which is like the heart and the tech, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's just, it's pretty evident that you needed this kind of like high-minded director to, to take this on because there was a lot of, so much science and everything to compact into a movie. The storyboarding began on Jurassic Park Jurassic Park. Uh, sorry, storyboarding began on Jurassic Park before the script was even completed. And um, obviously, they brought they brought in legendary creature creator Stan Winston um, to create the large scale dinosaur models, including the iconic thirty six foot long animatronic T Rex, uh, which was powered by hydraulics and um, was just an ever present threat on set because it wasn't designed. (laughs) It wasn't designed for like the wet conditions. They basically created it to be like an indoor dinosaur, you know. So they the like the foam and, and the rubber on the outside of it would soak up all the rain from like the torrential downpours in Hawaii where they were shooting and like terrifying <laughs> and it seeped into like the controls and the wires of the, of the T-Rex Kathleen Kennedy 
recalled about this whole incident. She said the T-Rex gave us the heebie-jeebie sometimes, scared the crap out of us. We'd be like eating lunch and all of a sudden the T-Rex would come alive. At first we didn't know what was happening and then we realized it was the rain. You'd hear people start screaming. So the people are just like <laughs> trying to eat their lunch and like this giant T-Rex is like going berser- berserk behind Wait, them. Did you uh, watch, there, there's like a making of Jurassic Park documentary and oh, yeah. they showed a couple clips of that and you can see it just like starts shaking and shaking. Yes. That would be so terrifying to just it's be sitting terrifying. Out your lunch, and then all of a sudden this thing just, especially the first <laughs> time it happens, like life on the set, I guess. Any day is a good day when you get to talk about Phil Tippett, but um, initially they brought Phil Tippett in of Star Wars fame. Uh, also did like the ED two hundred nine animation for RoboCop. He was brought in to use his famous uh, method of stop motion animation to bring dinosaurs to life initially. But another Star Wars legend stepped in, Dennis Murin, who also created the CGI visuals of T2. So he's a big proponent of computer graphics at this time. He pitched to Steven Spielberg the idea of using computer graphics to animate the uh, the dinosaurs instead. So they were originally going to go with like a more like Ray Harryhausen stop motion effect. But, you know, uh, Dennis Murin stepped in and was like, listen, this is the new, the hot new tech on the street um, and showed them a demo, a CG demo of the Gallimimus herd, like the part where they're, you know, Dr. Grant and Tim and uh, Lex are running away from the Gallimimus. They had like a real crude demo of that to demonstrate the technology and people lost their minds. Phil Tippett, I'm going to jump ahead, but uh, Spielberg asked Phil Tippett, like, what do you think about the CG? Like, what do you think about this, like, computer graphics? And Phil Tippett responded, I think I'm extinct. <laughs> I love that they put that in the movie. And it's just so funny if you've, if you've like, ever seen Phil Tippett speak or, like, seen him interviewed and everything that's like you can just hear him saying that so it's wonderful i love that that story too because he he didn't like in the documentary i was watching they talk about this too and how like yeah he kind of makes that joke well i guess i'm extinct but instead of you know being like grumpy about it like he evolves and he adjusts and it's like the fact that he just was like well you know, it is what it, I respect this technology and that he still was able to, they were still able to find a role for him and kind of make totally. him a part of the, the movie. They called him uh, the Alan Grant of ILM. Like he became kind of the movement <laughs> expert, you know, and was able to use his expertise and knowledge of like the way animals move, dinosaur movements and sounds and everything. And I just, I love that they just kind of, you know, he, he just, he had to evolve. <laughs> He evolved, but he never changed. We love Phil Tippett because of who he he is. I like this quote from Spielberg. Uh, He said of of the computer graphics, here's what was scary. We were creating the title characters of a film. These were the stars of the picture, these dinosaurs. And if that didn't work, nothing about Jurassic Park could have worked. I mean, obviously 5,000% true. So that was daunting because I was using Universal's money to basically make an experimental dinosaur picture. I showed (laughs) the stop motion effects legend Ray Harryhausen, and he was absolutely enthralled and very positive about the paradigm changing. He looked at the test and said, well, that's the future. And it's like, it's just so crazy that this is the movie that kind of made people like T2 was huge for CG, but like, this was the movie that people were like, oh my God, you can literally do anything with it. It's amazing. And like you said, it just holds up so well. I still, this is like probably even just super cliche to say at this point, but like when I get mad at, at not mad, when I get like put off by bad CG and like current movies, I'm like, how is Jurassic Park, a movie made in 1993, look better than this movie? <laughs> like it shouldn't that shouldn't be how it is but it's just it's just that combination of practical like anyone working with cgi right now should have a picture of that t-rex on their 
inspiration board or something. Oh, like, to totally. Where the bar is at. Like, yeah, exactly. Direct. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, obviously a huge component of bringing the dinosaurs to life as well as the sound. Sound designer Gary Ridstrom attempted to keep things as organic as possible with the dinosaurs. So um, in true sound designer fashion, all the dinosaur sounds come from pieces of like 20 to 20 to 30 real animal samples to build like a dinosaur vocabulary, at least for the raptors. Um, and he said in an interview that the raptors main attack scream is a combination of a walrus and a male dolphin mating call. Which it's like, if you picture that raptor sound in your head, you can you can definitely... I can hear Oh, yeah, I can hear both of those things, yeah. The sound design for, like, the dinosaurs is, like... Especially oh. when, um like, the, the raptor's, like, breathing on the on the glass. It's like, mm-hmm. I can... I want that as, like, my ringtone. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, the screeching noise. Like, I can just... I can hear it. I can, like, summon it, summon it and hear the sound in my head. And it's just that... Oh, that screeching sound. And, yeah, the little, like... I'm not doing it. No, no, that was good. But like, I don't know. I guess maybe that is that breathing, and and then the kind of like purring noise, like they do, like kind of like a. Totally. I'm butchering this, but. No, no, it's you're you're spot you're spot on. Those are like the three, the three main like selling points of the raptor. It's like the three different moods, so. Just like in the film, uh, while they were actually shooting the film, a, a, a giant hurricane threatened to shut down the whole shoot. And all the cast and crew uh, had on them when they uh, were seeking shelter was a Victoria's Secret catalog. And then Steven Spielberg with, with a flashlight to entertain them and tell them ghost stories. Um, and Gold, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum recalled the whole experience. Uh, he said the lights went out. And I remember Steven Spielberg took a flashlight and held it above his head and shined it down on himself and said, love story. And then put it under his chin and said, horror story, love story, horror story. <laughs> Man, Steven Spielberg's never not Steven Spielberg. It's so great. No. Um, but I would have loved being on this set. This just seems like one of those sets that just would have been so much fun to work on. Like doing this research and everything, I was like, I got, I got like emotional because I was like, man, this just sounded like hurricanes aside, like one of the most like fun sets. Everyone remembers it so fondly. It kind of reminded me of like when a celebrity dies and like no one has any bad things to say about them. Like the whole community is just like, what a great person. They're the best person that always like chokes me up. It's like kind of the same feeling when I was like reading all the, all the research for this. It's so great that a movie that we all love this much has such a great story behind it. It could have been a disaster, but like everyone just remembers it so fondly. I mean, it's part of why I love like Star Wars so much. You know, you see the behind the scenes of like Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and that that chemistry and just, you know, how well everyone got along and, you know, same with a lot of the Marvel movies and I feel like Jurassic Park was just the same thing. Like it was just such a great cast and like you listen to Steven Spielberg talking about it and it's it's just it's like listening to him talk about this movie it's it's just one of those things that reminds me why I love movies I think today it's it's so easy to feel a little bit I don't know you can get kind of cynical about you know the big movie studios and Disney and you know and they're all money-making blockbusters and bottom lines and whatnot but then you listen to steven spielberg talking about a movie like this and you're like no like these are also artists like he was so passionate about bringing this to life and he cared so much about it and it 
it shows and you know just the way everyone was just so invested and just it's like they were as in love with the story and concept and of it as as we were seeing it and i think that's why it just worked so well oh yeah absolutely and 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 just everything you read about spielberg with this movie too he was just having a blast making it too like there's like obviously he you know spielberg has like his schindler's lists but then he then he has the jurassic parks on the opposite end of the spectrum and like when he's making this kind of movie he's just he's a he's a little boy he just turns into a kid and that's what's just so so amazing about spielberg's movies he puts that childlike wonder into every everything that's what it is that's what it is it's the childlike wonder it's the magic this one is so different than any of the sequels any other just dinosaur movies like it just has so much heart in it and absolutely well said it will definitely get more into like the various successes and failures of trying (laughs) to recapture that that magic but um this one, this one has it in spades. So yeah. this is for all you Kathleen Kennedy haters out there. Uh, <laughs> this is during that same storm. Kathleen Kennedy jogged and hitchhiked to an airport to find someone that could fly the crew of the, and casting crew of the movie off the island to safety. She got her running shoes on and ran in a storm and hitchhiked with God knows who to get to the airport. Where, when she got there, she happened to bump into the pilot who flew the biplane in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And <laughs> she was like, Hey, what's up, Kathleen? And, and she was like, Oh, great. I have a whole cast and crew making a dinosaur movie. Can we fly them out of here? And he, <laughs> he agreed and like flew a giant uh, cargo plane and to pick everybody up and fly them to safety. So suck on that Kathleen Kennedy haters. Like she yeah, makes the, she... she makes your favorite movies happen. She makes, she made your childhood happen. She's not ruining your childhood. Seriously. She created it. Show this woman some respect. Yes, for sure. The only reason that the things that you like existed is because of Kathleen Kennedy. So I know I can't believe I'd forgotten she was connected with Jurassic Park. I had totally forgotten until I like just rewatched it for this for this podcast that she was involved with it. She's like in the Overlook Hotel pictures of like hotel of, of like Hollywood. It's like she's all <laughs> Kathleen like... Kennedy's always been here. Uh, Jurassic Park wrapped twelve days ahead of schedule, uh, which is insane. Seeing yeah. as how much went into it, it Kathleen happened. Kennedy and George Lucas oversaw post production. Uh, while Spielberg was off in Europe uh, filming a little-known movie called Schindler's List. <laughs> film opened on Friday, June 11th, 1993, and broke box office records its first weekend with $47 million. It's funny how low that seems, but at the time, that was yeah. like, oh my god. It eventually went on to make more than $900 million worldwide, and even more than that because of like subsequent, subsequent re-releases and things like that. It's over, obviously over a billion at this point, and spawned a, an entire franchise, for better or for worse. Uh, sometimes for better and most of the times for worse, but we'll get more into that later. Um, it's so weird to think that there it's, it's, I get it's a six movie franchise. Like I still don't really sense. think of, <laughs> cause I still just kind of think of Jurassic park as its own movie. I don't really think of it as the Jurassic park franchise for some reason. Right. It's like Jurassic park and then like five pieces of Jurassic park fan fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe four. I like the lost world. We'll talk about it, but um, yeah. I, I, uh, it's and I also don't hate three. Um, I don't hate. You know, I don't hate any of them. There's there's things I find things I like about each. Well, yeah, sure, absolutely. Like <laughs> it's like it's at the end of the day, it's still dinosaurs doing cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so you can't really go wrong. That's how's that for some film criticism? Is yeah, it's just dinosaurs <laughs> doing cool stuff. Um, yeah, the. Stuff. Uh, one of the, obviously one of the most important aspects of this is we already talked about for like the 
chemistry of this amazing cast. Do you want to talk about the, the, the tops cards that you have? Or Oh yeah, the cast. So, so yeah, when I was younger, part of my obsession with everything is I got really into collecting these little cards. Um, yeah. I seem to remember my dad, like taking my brother and I to the comic, comic card store, or, like comic store. And we would just pick out, you know, a couple of these little packets, but anyways, they had these, they have these like character cards, which I thought were kind of funny. Um, so like, for Dr. Ellie Sattler. Um, it says, Dr. Ellie Sattler, Laura Dern, is a paleobotanist, late 20s. Also, I don't know why that weirded me out that she's in her late 20s. Late 20s? And I like, she's in her late 20s in this movie. When I like, I still look at her and I'm like, that's a grown up. Yeah. And I'm late like, 20s. I am 20 ish, 10, 15, 20 ish years older than. Dr. Sattler was in this movie. I don't know what to do with that information. Um, she's a paleobotanist, late 20s, athletic looking, ambitious, and impatient. Dr. Sattler also has her domestic side, obviously in love with Grant. She wants to what? marry him and have children. <laughs> why is this card? I don't know. <laughs> why, is, why does it end with that? Like, ambitious, strong willed. <laughs> she wants to have Dr. Grant's babies. I gotta uh, say, sorry, this is why I had to read because. Dr. Sattler is like one I don't one of my favorite characters of all times. I mean, she was so inspirational in this movie. I I there's a million things I could say about her, but I thought that was the funniest thing that this <laughs> strong woman in this comic card and they describe her as obviously in love with Grant. She wants to marry him and have his babies. Like <laughs> Yeah. Not not entirely untrue, but also I mean, like not the point yeah. of the character, right? Because no, she she doesn't even say she wants to have she just says she just makes fun of Grant for not liking kids, implying that she likes kids, not that she wants to have his kids. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, like this is one thing. Like, I love this character so much is that she's it's like she's just she's just allowed to exist. Like she she's an athletic, sure. strong woman, but she's not. You know, she's not overly. She's not like a damsel in distress type character. She's a but professional. She also doesn't have to be like. I think a lot of like, you know, women heroes and whatnot or protagonists. You know, during this time, it's like they're they have to be kind of like the badass, like stoic, like kind of you know, like a, what's it, an alien, you know, or something. Or they're like the damsel in distress, the beautiful. But the fact, I love the fact though that she's she's maternal. Like she does. She talks about like kids and wanting kids and stuff but it's just it's not like the primary thing about like she's so multifaceted and she's also totally capable strong a badass but she's maternal and wants kids to, i mean it, it's just i love it i love her character but i just it's the card is just so ridiculous. yeah the card's a little <laughs> off like, like, um, i don't know what's great about uh, i didn't really have the vocabulary for this when i was a kid but i feel like i noticed this about her performance it's the most like naturalistic, um, non-scripted performance. It's obviously yeah. like it's obviously like she's clearly reading her lines, but the way she delivers them is so realistic and so like like Robert Altman style, where she's like talking over people, she's like whispering mm -hmm. to herself in the background. It's like yeah. she's like always moving and always talking, and like she's not like, like um, delivering lines she's just a real she's a real person kind of is really good at that too. yes like, yeah Pugh absolutely a lot of just like like really like florence Pugh, like in in black widow and she goes up and she kind of just 
like does the like breathe on the glass thing and kind of makes yeah. a smiley face in it. Like she does these just really like you almost wouldn't even notice them, but just very like human things. Right. And um, yeah, well that, so uh, one of the, in the documentary I was watching um, Steven Spielberg described like intentionally wanting to cast like really phenomenal actors who weren't big, you know, like, movie stars you know big star powers and he described both um laura dern and sam neill as very honest actors there's like an honesty to them and i think that's like because he wanted this to feel like yeah not like you're watching a movie about dinosaurs like but that you are getting again like experiencing this event these are real people in our world that are going to this you know amusement park and yeah she's she's so natural and like and again, it's like, it's not trying too hard to make her some kind of like badass or like feminist, you know, but obviously they have some, a lot of those like really wonder, you know, the whole God creates dinosaurs, God destroys dinosaurs, God creates yeah. man, man destroys God, man creates dinosaurs, dinosaurs eat man, women inherits the Sorry, I had to write that whole thing down. I, didn't I thought that was off the dome. I was, uh, I was going to be <laughs> impressed. I'm still impressed by I thought you were just I like. I feel like I have it memorized, but I still wrote it down because I wasn't. I I didn't know if I would be nervous and forget it. But I love that. Um, but yeah, like even when uh, like when um, when Malcolm is kind of like flirting, you know, and he kind of like he kind of, I don't want to say like talks. I love Malcolm's character. Like he doesn't really talk down, but he's a little bit like, oh, honey, you know, he like he's a little flirty, like a little kind of. Yeah, he's a little skeezy. Dismiss it, yeah, and. I don't know. It's it's interesting though because when you watch those scenes, like I'd I'd almost expect her to kind of like make a snarky comment, but she kind of just like smiles and like. It, but to me, like I, when I'm watching her, how I see that is is she's almost just kind of humoring him. I feel like L like Dr. Tyler always knows what's going on and what and like she's just she's so confident and like she she has nothing to prove basically so when he's like trying to teach her chaos theory he's like oh did i go too fast and she's like woo like she has no problem saying what she doesn't know she's like oh yeah she kind of does the like woof over my head classic gif yeah but i just i I love that she just she it's like she has nothing to prove she knows what she knows she's and she's and the way that she yeah, like, says these little things on her breath, the way that, you know, when she's dealing with the triceratops and she's just, she's so in her own head, so distracted, so focused on, you know, her work and what she's doing. I don't know. She's fantastic. I, yeah. I, yeah, she um was actually talked into taking the role from her buddy Nicolas Cage when she was creating, when she was shooting the greatest movie of all time, Wild at Heart, with him, uh, David Lynch movie. <laughs> uh, and... She said, I was talking with Nicolas Cage and we just done Wild at Heart together. And I said to him, Nick, they want to put me on the phone with Steven Spielberg, but they want to talk to me about a dinosaur movie. And he was like, you are doing a dinosaur movie. No one can ever say no to a dinosaur movie. And I was like, really? And he's like, are you kidding? It's a dream of my life to do a movie with dinosaurs. So Nicolas Cage is like, I'll do it if you don't do it. Like, I just like the idea that Nicolas Cage is like, always do a dinosaur movie. It's like, it seems right up his alley, but I'm so glad that they had that talk. And then this is the part that I was saying, like, maybe like super like emotional to read it. And it's just because it's, A, it's Laura Dern recalling it and she's an angel. And it's just Steven Spielberg just like letting you have it. Like why movies are so great. And she said, uh, then I talked to Steven and he goes, I know that you're doing your independent films, but I need you to be chased by dinosaurs in awe of dinosaurs and have the adventure of a lifetime. Will you do this with me? And I was like, sure. <laughs> like imagine Steven Spielberg saying, I need you to be chased by dinosaurs in awe of dinosaurs and have the adventure of a lifetime. Like, yes, 
you're saying yes a hundred times out of a hundred. That's Steven Spielberg being a little kid, being like, movies are great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. As we mentioned, Sam Neill is uh, Alan Grant. There, there really weren't like he's such an honest actor, like you were saying that there was like no interesting stories about Sam. Sam Neill basically like <laughs> auditioned and then got the part. That's the Sam Neill story of Jurassic Park. <laughs> so, um, yeah, obviously, this, Richard. This, let's what's see. I'm what just gonna read what this card says about him. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot there was a tops card for him too. There's a tops card for him too. Paleontologist. 30-ish, intensely focused on his work, less so on his appearance. These are the most like gender stereotypical. I I don't think Dr. Grant cares about his appearance. Like he's looking good in that jean shirt and like the khakis and the hat and the scarf. It says it says no, intensely focused on his work, less so on his appearance. Oh, I thought you said even more so on his appearance. Oh no, less less so on his exper- on his appearance. Focused okay. on his work, less on his appearance. This is Dr. Alan Grant. He's ragged looking and used to the and used to roughing it after long stretches in the desert digging up dinosaur bones. Grant doesn't like kids, which is a problem for his girlfriend slash partner. Oh no! Like, it goes back what? to it. Yes. <laughs> they double down on the kids <gasps> thing. It's so bizarre. Also, like, because when I saw this and when I watched this, I always thought like their relationship. I love, I love that their relationship is so subtle. Like to me, like, I mean, obviously, there's like something, like there's something there, but and I can't remember. I know that I think they touch on this or they they reference it in some of the future movies or allude to like yeah, in three. I always sensed it is yeah that like there was something, but I didn't take it. I did not think that they were boyfriend and girlfriend i know that yeah. car malcolm asks he says are you and you know dr sattler and he's yes yes but i always yeah. saw that as him just being like because he has a crush on her and doesn't want skeezy malcolm to hit on her i didn't take that literally like he's saying yeah no we're she's ta- we're boyfriend and girlfriend i always thought it was very subtle and i love that so much it's the same reason like i kind of like that they don't go overboard like with han and leia in star wars like it's just sure. kind of they're like okay i'm going to talk about the the sequels real just quick but i fucking hate the fucking in the lost not the lost world the jurassic world the freaking place is falling to the ground and there's pterodactyls everywhere and it's like this is the time for chris pratt and glory Dallas howard to have this big epic you know movie make out scene while everyone's dying and screaming like i hate that trope and that cliche oh it's bad <laughs> it's like people are dying there's no time to make out right now and so yeah. i just i love in jurassic park that they're whatever they have it's just it's kind of reference you don't really know but it's not distracting it's not sappy it's and it's not pushing some you know they're not trying to have some epic cheesy kiss while yeah and it's also part of the genius of the pacing of the movie because they don't slow down to be like oh they're they're, they're lost loves that need to be reunited or like they yeah. don't slow down for that like epic kiss or it's just like yeah they're in a professional relationship and they're in a relationship that's it they love each other and are they work together and are professionals together let's go richard attenborough as john hammond class uh in a uh, classic performance. I just you just can't picture him as anything else. Um, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum uh, as the man, the myth, the legend, Ian Malcolm, subject of many a meme. One of these days, I'm going to paint that on a votive. I need to do the, <laughs> the reclining, uh, yeah, Doctor Malcolm shirtless. A lot of like 
mid 2010s internet content came from oh, Jeff yeah. Goldblum in this movie. <laughs> like the like the the laugh and the helicopter on repeat for yeah. ten hours, stuff like that. So this is a very very big Jeff Goldblum performance, pro- probably in the top three of his career, if not if oh, not yeah. the number I, one for people. I think more than. I mean, I love the entire cast, but I think more than anyone, like his, he's irreplaceable. Like no one. Oh yeah. Can, that's that's his that's his character. It belongs to him. No one else can do that. Well, it's funny because Jim Carrey was also also auditioned for the role, and they liked him, but everyone fell in love with Jeff Goldblum mm-hmm. right away. Um, yeah. And they were originally going to combine the character of uh, Ian Malcolm and Dr. Grant together, and uh, Jeff Goldblum was basically like, uh, "I wish you wouldn't." And then they didn't do it. So that's how the both characters were existed. And that's how his uh, iconic role was born. I just think it's funny that he I'm said, I wish he wouldn't. <laughs> they, they, they I'm didn't do glad it. for that because I also love Sam Neill. I had such a crush on Sam Neill. Um, he, he was one of my first crushes too. I was very glad yeah. he was. This. He, is yeah, just he's... A, I, he has such a like, I don't know, like yeah, like like he he's a just a very natural, honest actor. I mean, I even I even it's one of the reasons I enjoy. It's probably the only reason I watched Jurassic Park three is because he's back in it. Like I just really like his. He has just kind of a calming presence. I don't know. I just I've always loved his character. Uh, well, it's yeah, it's very. I think it's that might have to do with the age we were at too, because he was. I mean, he's taking care of. Tim, uh, Tim and Lex in the movie. He seems yeah. very paternal and he's, he is a very he calming remind, presence. I think that he reminded me of, yeah, of like kind of a, yeah, like a dad, dad figure. Kind of. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the rest of the cast here, Bob Peck, Robert as Robert Muldoon. Uh, amazing, mm. incredible performance amazing. from, from Bob Peck. Uh, Martin Ferraro was Donald Gennaro. Uh, that's, a, that's really fun <laughs> to say. Martin Ferraro was Donald Gennaro. Um, <laughs> Joseph yeah, Mazzello as Tim Murphy, um, who originally screen tested to be in Hook um, and oh, uh, yeah. didn't get the role, but Spielberg promised him another role, which is, ended up being Jurassic Park. Lucky for him. I think he probably got the better end of that deal, even though mm-hmm. Hook is great. Um, and then Ariana Richards as Lex Murphy, um, who, you know, she got the role after, you know, there's dozens and dozens of girls that like taped for the role and auditioned for the role of Lex. Um she got the role because she woke up uh, Spielberg's wife at the time, at the time, I think still currently too. Kate Capshaw uh, woke her up off the couch while Spielberg was watching audition tapes. Cause her scream was so <laughs> loud and blood curdling that she thought someone thing was something was wrong with their own children. So she came like running out like what's wrong with the kids. Um, so that's how, that's how she became the role of Lex. She's um, an obviously artist now I've heard she, she came out, she's like a painter. No. Yeah, I, that's I love when like famous kid stars like just don't do more movies. Um, yeah, I don't think just... she ever acted after that. Like she she has a role in either. I think it's the second in the Lost World. Yeah, that, I I love when that happens when they're just like, no, not for me anymore. Um, yeah, yeah and then Sam, Samuel L. Jackson um, as Ray Arnold, B.D. Wong as Henry Wu, and Wayne Knight uh, as Dennis Nedry. Um, obviously music by the incomparable John Williams. Uh, he called composing the score a rugged, noisy effort and a massive job of symphonic cartooning, which is just something that John Williams would say. He also went on to say that while trying to match the rhythmic gyrations of the dinosaurs, he ended up creating kind of, he said, funny little ballets 
that match the awe-inspiring nature of seeing realistic dinosaurs on screen. I think now is the time to talk about the the scene because <laughs> that scene works on its own, but that scene soars to the next level. Um, oh. We're talking, of course, about when they first roll up to the park and uh, they see the Brachiosaurus like eating from the tree and you know, everyone's Grant's fubbling with his glasses or Sadler's fubbling with her glasses and everything. Um, when that score kicks in, it's I'm a 39 year old man and I'm still just like in tears every time. Uh, it's it's the most, it's the most magical and perfect scene for introducing dinosaurs to the world. Um, I'm sure books have been written on it. I'm sure every last angle on this scene has been (laughs) discussed, but we just have to mention how like it gets you every time. I just don't know how it does it. it. It's every time the the magic and the splendor and the awe of the scene is just as real as the first time you saw it. How do you feel about the scene? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just brilliant. I mean, like, again, like it's, I still, I feel like I can still feel it and remember, like, I think my jaw was on the ground, like in the theater watching this for the first time. And and yeah, like I've just been like analyzed to pieces, but just everything about the way they present that scene, the way the music builds up to it, the way they shoot it so you feel like you're seeing it from the same, like you're experiencing it in real time with the characters and the, again, the acting, just the awe on their faces. And I, it's another thing I was watching in the documentary about, apparently Spielberg, like he was like adding new shots to that like on the spot when they were filming up he just came up with kept coming up with more ideas and stuff and um yeah and it's and then that 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 i think when i like texted you like just a screen recording of it but when the you know the brachiosaurus jumps and then just like lands back down and the way the music coincides with the boom you know and the camera kind of shakes because the ground's moving and then it immediately clicks to Gennario and you see the little um the little lanyard hanging on the jeep kind of shake too I don't know what it is about that lanyard shaking just everything coming together just again the the how visceral and real everything feels with the way they crafted this scene it's just it's 360 degrees it's just it's it's just stunning it's magic it's, movie it's incredible the the way that like uh, Grant like falls to his knees like mm-hmm. it's that's how I feel watching it every time. So. <laughs> and she's like holding it like hold like it's just just take a breath like take take deep breath. <laughs> yeah, and then and even the- and then that last shot too when he looks off and then and then you just see this like scene of them all like you know the herd they move they do move in herds they do move <laughs> like, in herds um and then but then it's just the the theme's just pumping over that like pond where everyone's like the, the old watering hole for the dinosaurs um the the music in that part is just like john williams understanding the assignment completely yeah. i just don't yes. he's just it, 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 he always he's well, so humble that he's, he's always just like yeah i had a good idea for what that would sound like and it's just like the most <laughs> iconic gut punch scene you know it's like just so amazing so um, yeah, you just you feel that when it's like when it when the Brachiosaurus lands when the two feet land that in the way that that just perfectly times with the music. It's yeah, I I think like every time I watch it, like I grip my heart, like I I can't help it, like I still my jaw drops and I grip my heart and I'm I'm just it's it's masterful. And you kind of forget about it until it's coming up again. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm about to get 
annihilated yeah. again emotionally. Just it always affects me every time I see it. That was one of the scenes I painted on my on my photos in my collection too. It was the first one I thought of. I was like, I just I have to. How fast are they? Well, we clocked the T Rex at thirty two miles an hour. T Rex. Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T Rex. Uh huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T Rex. Oh. Put your, put your head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sattler, welcome to Jurassic Park. about this movie that I that again is why if this movie were made today I feel like we just wouldn't get the same thing but the brilliant way in which Spielberg very slowly rolls out the dinosaurs like just giving you hints you know like starting with that you know the velociraptor you know in captivity attacking you know the very first scene and they, that kind of gets you like oh my gosh you're kind of excited and then you don't see another dinosaur for like an hour and sure. the way they kind of roll everything out and then you first get this whole magic and this awe-inspiring and, you know, the veggie-saurus and the nice ones and then and these animals and this beautiful, and, you know. I think there's only, it's something, it's either like nine, you might know that, maybe you wrote this, but nine or 16 minutes, I think, of total screen time that the dinosaurs actually have yep. in the movie. And yet it doesn't feel that way. Like it's only like 15 minutes total or something that there's actually dinosaurs on screen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's really wild that like, but they have that much impact in that amount of time. It's like a Hannibal Lecter effect where it's like, he's got 12 minutes or something like that of screen time, but it's an indelible like movie image. Um, well, yeah. Cause nowadays they just, they shove so many, it's, it's like every scene. And again, I love freaking, I love the MCU. I love star Wars. You know, I love, I love movies that they're fun, but there's so much going on and it just can feel like every single scene has to be, you know, like a show off contest to see what, you know, we can do with CGI. And this one, it was like a mastery in restraint. And I don't yeah. know, maybe it was necessary restraint because they were just inventing all this. And so they had to use it sparingly, but it's like um, Jaws, right? It's like Jaws yeah. again, where it's like yeah. the things that held them back are what makes it such an amazing movie it's like they, those constraints help the realism you know yeah the movie is sitting at 92 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes with a 91 percent audience score Do, i don't want to say this every podcast but like i just don't know how you watch this movie as a critic and just not let, fall in love with it i don't know you must have a heart of stone i feel sad i feel sad for someone that oh. would have that reaction. I, I'm, I'm not even mad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I feel bad for you. Who hurt you? Yeah. Like Kenneth Turin of the Los Angeles Times says, all the imagination and effort, including 18 months of pre-production that went into making the dinosaur state of the art exciting, apparently left no time to make the people similarly believable or involving. In fact, when the big guys leave the screen, you'll be tempted to leave the theater with them. Which is like, what? what are you talking about? Like these aren't these aren't the most well drawn characters, but like they're not they're definitely not like hollow shells of characters. We were just talking no. about how 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 they do so much with so little. I don't know. They're, they're like I wouldn't. It's like a perfect 
you know, Oscar worthy performances, but the, I think it's, there's still just something like you said, so natural about like these just genuinely feel like people that are just going to visit this park. Like they're, they're like audience avatars. They feel like that could be you or you or you or yeah. I, you know? So, so in case you don't have the entire movie committed to memory, like Jenny and I probably do. Uh, here's a rundown of the events of Jurassic Park. After a dinosaur handler is killed by a velociraptor during a routine dinosaur load-in, naturally happens on Jurassic Park. I wanted to know if you could do your best shoot her, but if you don't want to do it, that's okay. Shoot uh, her! Shoot her! One of, the, one, of the, one of the greatest mouth close-ups in film history. But um, yeah, Jurassic Park's investors demand that the safety of the park is investigated by industry experts. Uh, the lawyer that represents them, Donald Gennaro, invites chaos theorist Ian Malcolm, while John Hammond, the visionary mind behind the creation of the park, drops by the Badlands-based dig site of Dr. Alan Grant and paleobotanist Dr. Ellie Sattler to invite them as well. Uh, when they pop the champagne, he's like, we were saving that. And he's like, for today, I assure it. <laughs> okay. it's, it's so good. Uh, uh but yeah, they accept under the condition that Hammond funds three years of the research and the group heads off to Isla Nublar, the location of the park. I'm probably butchering the, the pronunciation of the island. I'm not sure <laughs> I've ever said it out loud before. Uh, and uh, it's so Nublar. For, forgive me. Um, yeah, they head off to uh, Isla Nublar, the location of the park by a helicopter. Um, I was I looked into it and it actually it's supposed to mean the cloudy island. Uh, but the proper Spanish for Isla Nublar should be La Isla Nublada, which is the cloudy oh. islands. But so they just kind of truncated it. But uh, yeah, when they arrive, they're ushered to the park's visitor center, but stop along the way so that John Hammond can flex that he has, in fact, brought dinosaurs back to life. Um, Grant and Sattler marvel at a group of brachiosaurus, noting that the research was correct and they travel in herds. They get to the visitor center and the group learns that cloning these prehistoric creatures is made possible by extracting dino DNA. Dino DNA. <laughs> dino DNA. I was, I meant to look up who did the voice of that. Was, was it someone famous that did the dino, the little DNA guy? Am I remembering that wrong? Greg Burson, an American voice actor who is known for voicing Mr. DNA from Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. So I, I don't I don't really know. For He's some probably reason, done other I thought stuff. it was. For some reason, I thought it was. I maybe I was remembering that wrong. Um, um, I have a right. question about this scene though. When I was watching it again, yeah. I had this thought, where I was like, okay, so the video for Dino DNA involves John Hammond. I was thinking this exactly. It involves John Hammond. Like, re, does he does he do does it he every time? Like every is he just hang out there on every. Yeah, is it that I exclusive mean, at Jurassic I Park? I thought that... about that same thing. I thought about the uh, same thing when I was watching this. Like, because he's like, oh, I have lines. And I was like, wait. Yeah. They... So did they just film this just for this group? Or is this like, he just, yeah, he just goes on. It's like, that's part of your experience is you just, you get to meet the owner and he just rides on that ride every day, all day. It's, he's, he's making it happen, man. It's, he's, yeah. he's a man. John Hammond is a man of the people. Um, but yeah, I was watching. I was just like, man, that's got to get old. He does this every time. They got to shoot some other people. Get B.D. Wong in that studio. Get yeah. him in the video. <laughs> so we got the Dino DNA uh, from prehistoric mosquitoes that were perfectly preserved in amber. Uh, just then an egg begins to hatch and Dr. Grant is horrified to learn. Okay, also, though, before we, I, one of my 
favorite moments in the scene is when they're uh when uh Gennario in his typical awkward he's like wait are, are all the these guys uh auto erotica <laughs> Oh no, erotic! Yeah, <laughs> erotic. <laughs> it's like, it's so good. No animatronics here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, like, he just kind of like grazes over that. Uh, it's like Hammond just kind of like you idiot. You over that one, <laughs> like just yeah, like, it's so good. Auto erotica. Uh, <laughs> yes. The egg begins to hatch, and Doctor Grant is horrified to learn the scientists have bred velociraptors. Um, a lunchtime visit to the raptor enclosure confirms Dr. Grant's anxiety as Robert Muldoon, the Jurassic Park game warden, uh, explains that raptors are clever, cunning, and always learning. After witnessing a whole live cow get obliterated by the raptors, one of my favorite scenes, the group somehow still has an appetite and heads to lunch where they debate the ethics of the park itself. Uh, Malcolm invokes the principle of chaos theory to warn that the park will inevitably and catastrophically break down Jurassic Tennis anyone. That's oh, a, that's I, just the thing I've always noticed like in the background, like the, the slides, it's like Jurassic Tennis. And I was like, I want to play Jurassic Tennis. Uh, this scene is this scene is so good that the slow close up on Dr. Grant's face. Uh, how could we possibly know what to expect? It's so good. Uh, that, well, yeah, and the, I, I all from ever since then to any time I see Chilean sea bass on the menu, I immediately think of Jurassic Park, <laughs> and I just I love that scene too because like as a ten year old, um, that was just one of those jokes that we just thought was hilarious, and I'm sure I repeated that like, and then you know they eat the cow, and then they go, and then they're you know looking at their plate, and then they're their faces, you know, because the fish, because they just saw the cat. Like I just thought that was the funniest. <laughs> that along with the that is one big pile of shit joke, of course. Oh yeah, absolutely um, classic. I always <laughs> think of Doctor of 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 John Hammond too going condors. If if like if I bred condors, <laughs> like. And you took it, and you packaged it, and you sold it. Uh, that lunch scene is fantastic. That's it's funny with all the special effects and everything. I feel like that's the one that they should um, play in like film classes. I'm sure that they do. But that scene is so. so that's one of those scenes where like you're like boring, no dinosaurs when the, when you're a kid, but as you're an adult, you're like, oh my god, movies! Like movies well, are yeah. the best. There are so many. Like I think of all the scenes, like watching it as an adult and kind of trying to look at it. I don't know, analyze it, think about it a little differently than, again, just being a kid, like, oh my god, dinosaurs. Yeah, that that's the whole scene when they are watching, like, the raptor egg um, hatching, the, the raptor pen, and then that dinner is one of my favorites, and they, they just, again, the the writing and the music, too, does such a a nice dance between this awe, wonder, the childlike, like the expectations, the hope of what this could be, and then the ominous and darkness around it and this kind of questionable ethics of nature. You know, even when they're like in that dinner di or the, the lunch scene, you know, and it's like in the midst of, um, you know, Malcolm, pound, you know, and then you patched it, you sold it and stuff. <laughs> the, the fact that in that room, they're surrounded by all these beautiful markety pictures, you know, like little slides switching back and showing exactly, different yes. areas of the park and stuff. And then same with uh, when they're in the lab and it's like, it's this constant dance going back and forth between the wonder of they're looking at this and the music is brilliant in this too. The music, it's this, on the one hand, it's like, again, the music is conveying this wonder and then there's just this 
subtle uncomfortableness to it. And you see they're looking at the egg and then you're reminded when the hand shoots out, the little robot hand and like grabs the egg away from Dr. Grant. And it's like wonder, oh, science, wonder, oh, yeah. ooh, technology. And it's, it's just such a, it's, it's such a great setup for everything. For yeah. Charlie. It's like science is the agitator. Like science is like not, yeah, not today. And I love in that yeah. scene too, when, um, I love how Grant is holding the raptor and he's like, what species is this? Is this? And he's like, uh, Velociraptor. And it, it's like, he's holding like Rosemary's baby or something. It's like, he's holding the fucking devil itself when yeah. he's holding it. Yes. Yeah, so Lex and Tim Murphy, Hammond's grandchildren arrive for a tour of the park. Uh, and Hammond heads to the control room to make sure everything goes as planned. Spoiler. It does not. Uh, things start off calmly enough with most of the dinosaurs failing to appear and the group encountering a sick triceratops. Uh, now, now, eventually, you do plan to have dinosaurs on your on your dinosaur tour, right? Hello? Uh, hello? Yes? I really hate that man. That's, <laughs> like I quote that. Him. I I quote that the same way I quote Millhouse in the in uh, <laughs> the Simpsons saying when when are they gonna get to the fireworks factory? I kind of use them the same way where it's like are we ever gonna get to the fucking place? Like I really hate that man. <laughs> I really hate that man. It's cut short as a tropical cyclone makes a landfall on Isla Nublar. Most of the park employees leave for the mainland on a boat while the visitors return to their electric tour vehicles, except Sadler, who stays behind with the park's veterinarian to study the Triceratops. Six to eight weeks. Six to eight, every six to eight weeks. <laughs> I think I love that scene in a big part because I'm, I'm going to guess that this movie is open the doors for us to be able to say shit without getting in oh, trouble i totally I just seem to remember like after this movie shit just kind of became like one of those curse words we were allowed to use like because it was just <laughs> we can say it now that is one big pile of shit like because my dad's a pastor like we were allowed to like we were it's un- it's an undeniable joke like you cannot like it's <laughs> know, just the, like, the the line delivery of it, it's like it's you can't you can't be mad at it that is also given i i have a very large dog that is uh probably one of the most common quotes that comes to my head every time I'm taking a <laughs> walk is, is that scene. That is one um, big yeah, which, And that, that uh, Triceratops, I read, was the very first scene that they filmed, I think, too, with the with the dinosaurs. Yep. That was, like, their first experience in such a great way, too, to, like, for the cast to be able to, you know, actually have, like, a physical, you know, dinosaur there, like an actual... Like you were saying, what a great way to, to start it off to see like the amount of detail and work and care that's going into making it yeah. such, like a realistic experience. Because like that, yeah, that, I think that makes a difference for the actors. Like I think that's one of the reasons they've sort of. Sorry, I go back to Star Wars a lot. I can't help it, but like, like I, I'm like picturing that's like fine. the making of like the Phantom Menace or something or or Attack of the Clones when they're you know when Padme and Anakin are riding those you know I forget what they're called on Naboo. You know, like if this scene were done, you know, you'd see the actors on like a giant inflatable blue uh, blob balloon, you know, blowing up and down. Right. As it, you know, I'm thinking of the scene where Dr. Grant's like laying on the triceratops as it's breathing and moving up and down with its stomach. But I think just having that there, like for the cast and, and yeah, just really feeling, you know, in the moment and the, the kind of power of, of what they were. Well, it's like, it's crucial too, like, yeah, like the, to get, to get the mood, but also like they were acting against so much CGI, like Laura Dern, um, I read some interviews where she was saying like they, people weren't 
used to working with CGI. So there, there'd be like yeah. sticks with pieces of paper with an X on them. And she's like, is that X going to be there like in the movie? What is that X doing there? <laughs> like it was like so, so foreign to them. And like Joseph Mazzello was saying like, he was disappointed, super disappointed as a kid because he was like, I'm in a dinosaur movie, but like he couldn't see any of the dinosaurs because they were all the one, the scenes he was in were all you CG. So it's like some dinosaurs on this dinosaur movie that we're making. On this dinosaur movie. Exactly. All right. So then enter Dennis Nedry and one of my favorite dinosaurs, uh, a computer scientist and corporate saboteur working for Hamid's rival research company to steal fertilized dinosaur embryos. Uh, Nedry deactivates the park security system to gain access to the embryo storage room and stores the embryos inside the aforementioned repurposed Barbasol shaving cream can. I feel like someone has someone has to have that shaving. I feel like Steven Spielberg or what, someone must have that in their collection. Like that specific one? I feel like I just feel like if I had worked on this movie or something, that just feels like one of those random like props or something like I'd want to take home or keep. Yeah, it'd be like one of those if you know, you know things. Like I would just oh, yeah. like, have it like have this shading like displayed somewhere on my shelf, and I just feel like people who get it would sure. get it. Yeah, check out um, what I got. Yeah. <laughs> Nedry's sabotage uh, also cuts power to the tour vehicles, stranding them just as they near the park's uh, T-Rex paddock. Most of the park's electric fences are deactivated as well, allowing the Tyrannosaurus to escape and attack the group. After the T-Rex overturns a tour vehicle, it injures Malcolm and devours Shinario. Another scene that as a 10-year-old guy getting eaten off the toilet was brutal. Much repeated, hilarious, brutal thing. Uh, While Grant, Lex, Lex, and Tim escape on his way to deliver the embryos to the island's docks, Nedry becomes lost in the rain, crashes his jeep, and is killed by a Dilophosaurus in one of the more gruesome. (laughs) Yeah, brutal. It's it's funny how this is like how magical movies are because you write this out and it's like the T-Rex escapes. It crashes the vehicles. Nedry crashes his car. But it's like this. <laughs> the T-Rex part is like mind blowing every time, every single time. I know when it's I read the that perfect like, T-Rex like da da da. It's, it's oh, my like, God. Just like just... Spielberg Spielberg masterclass intention where it, it's like the beach scene in Jaws, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, he's scanning the beach, you know, where it's like. He's gonna He's gonna eat the goat. Where's the goat? The goat's gone. Leg hits. Leg hits. Uh, then all of, like the parts of the fence start ripping out, right? Claws. Then you see. Oh my god! And then you get the two little claws that like show that the power's out and slowly creep back over. Yep. Yeah. Just oh yeah, where like he like kind of plucks it like a guitar string coming down. Yeah. Um, And then oh man, it's I get chills just talking about it, but like. And then cut to like the T Rex head just smashing through the top of the of the oh Jeep. Incredible. Um it works out too, just the grace, like the way it like bobs its head too, and like the balance of it and the weight of it, like just so believable. And just still unbelievable. I I, I it that that's a dinosaur. Like that is a real right. dinosaur. And it, and it's like they the the two things like they have the benefit of it being a scene at night and also a scene in the rain, so that like really 
helps it pop, but it's like, it just, all it does is make it more realistic. That's like, all it does is just like, make it seem like it's even more real. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's complete wizardry. I have no, I just, like I said, they could tell me a million times to my face how they did it. And I'd be like, di- Oh, di- real dinosaur. Okay. Um, and especially when Grant's like waving his, uh, flare and the way it bobs towards him there. And it's just like, how, how in 1993, how did you do this? Um, but Incredible. yeah. And then Although, one thing just did, how, okay. Because clearly, I mean, every time I watch it, I keep meaning to like really study this or look this up, but you know, when the car fall, like there's a, it's a giant ravine like there you know when the car falls down off the side of the cliff it's a lot deeper than it looks when he just walks out from the fence like i don't know if that was a um stake or like kind of they didn't they or they were just like eh you know what it that's a good point i feel i feel like it didn't bother me when i saw it but like i feel like i always justify it as like there's like the tyrannosaurus paddock where where he's housed and then it kind of then it's like the next part over on the road has the drop off but uh yeah you're right it's like spatially doesn't make a ton of sense but also it's like (laughs) there's also a t-rex chasing people so it's like i don't know yeah it's like Uh, it's not something that ever bothered me i just when the car i'm like wait a second the t-rex is just standing (laughs) yeah and this this description kind of glances over the 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 scene where it falls and they're all hanging out in the tree but like also love all those do you think he saw us jokes and everything it's just like mm-hmm. just the calm after the storm you know it's wonderful yeah that's uh, a beautiful scene that's another yeah. like very spielberg so like just great with writing kids it's a veggie source <laughs> <laughs> ellie sadler helps muldoon search for survivors uh they recover an injured uh malcolm but are chased away by the returning tyrannosaurus before they can find grant tim and lex who take shelter in a treetop and encounter a brachiosaurus um i guess we didn't really quite glance over it but still um laura dern just losing her mind screaming in this scene uh with just really selling it I, when when they're driving away from the t-rex again she's just like maxing it out and going for it it's great um but the three of them later discover the broken shells of dinosaur eggs and grant concludes that the dinosaurs have been breeding which occurred because of their frog dna some life as it would seem found a way and Malcolm was right. Unable to decipher Nedry's code to reactivate the security system. God damn it, I hate this hacker crap. <laughs> Hammond and Chief Engineer Ray Arnold reboot the park system, and the group shuts down the park's grid and retreats to an emergency bunker, while Arnold heads to a maintenance shed to complete the rebooting process. There's certain parts in movies when I was a kid uh, that specifically, like, are really, like, spatially confusing to me, and I don't, I didn't, like, really know what's going on and kind of tuned out for a bit. This part specifically where like Arnold goes to go reset the power and when Sattler finds it and like the, his arm comes out, you know, um, yeah. I was always like, well, I was like, what's going on here? Like, and then uh, like another scene like that, speaking of Star Wars, is like in Return of the Jedi, when they first go to like the, um, the, the shield generator, when they first take mm-hmm. Luke there and there's like the AT-AT walking and yeah. like the shuttle landing. I don't know how to explain it, but something like very spatially confusing happens to me where I'm like, where are we right now? Um, but that, this, this is, that's one of those parts where like, no matter how many times I watch it, I know what's going on, but it's like, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. <laughs> uh, we're, we're just going to move on. <laughs> uh, so Arnold fails to return. Uh, we find that out 
why <laughs> uh sattler and muldoon head to the shed um which oh another one of my favorite scenes after uh they discover the shutdown has de- deactivated the remaining fences and released the velociraptors muldoon distracts the raptors while sattler goes in to turn the power back on before being attacked by a raptor the most terrifying scene in the theater for me like i literally remember my my butt lifting off of the seat <laughs> when that thing jumps out at her scared the crap out of me did not expect it this might have been where my jumpiness started we might have found the origins actually because I, I don't watch horror movies ever or scary movies i'm very sensitive i'm very jumpy this might have been where it started it, it makes complete sense that there's a scene like that for me later on where that gets me every single time but sattler goes to turn the power back on before being attacked by the Raptor and then discovering <laughs> Dr. Arnold's severed arm. Oh my god, that scene. Meanwhile, Muldoon is caught off guard and killed by the other two raptors. Clever girl. Oh, best line in the whole movie. Uh, Sattler restores the power just as Grant, Lex, and Tim start to climb the electric fence. And the power is restored before Tim can clear it and send him flying. Big Tim, human piece of toast. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, I love that. Um, I just, I gotta say real quick, that's another just one of my favorite moments when John Hammond kind of fumbling when he's like, it, it really should be me who goes. And she's like, look, we can discuss sexism in survival situations when I get back. Like, doesn't he even it. miss a beat? And the other thing I love that I've never really noticed before, I never really paid attention to uh, Muldoon, <laughs> but he just, like, the second uh, Hamid starts saying that, he, like, doesn't even, he just, like, literally, like, rolls his eyes and grabs his, he's like, we don't have fucking have time for this. Yeah, like, we don't. Just like, fuck this. Like, come on, Ellie. Like, we, that, again, as a 10 year old girl, like, I just, that was just such a, there's something about that scene where she, it's just, and she, it's not even a big, no nonsense, no hesitation. She's just like, fucking, like, wh- what are we doing here? Give that, give me that. We'll, we'll deal with this later. Like, <laughs> just, I love it. That line, that line is, so, that line is so good. Yeah. And I, again, kind of glanced over as well, like the Gally Mimus herd scene, which is another iconic scene, but like, <laughs> man, they're, what does he say? They're, they're, they're flocking this way. <laughs> Tim is fine, I guess, after being zapped <laughs> off the fence and they reach the visitor center uh, where they eat some delicious looking ice cream. And uh, Grant heads out looking for Sattler, leaving Tim and Lex inside where they are pursued by the Raptors in the kitchen. They escape and join Grant and Sattler. Um <laughs> This those tops cards that you that you had, I remember a very specific one when I was a kid that said like the raptor comes to life, and it's like a raptor painted on the wall, but then the shadow over it. And I I had the card before the movie came yeah. out. I had I had the card before the movie came out, and I was like, what? Like I was like, dude, the raptors come to life off the walls. I was like very, I was like very <laughs> like whoa, they're going real crazy with this. But like I was excited for it, and then it didn't happen. I was like. <laughs> like I I'm, thought this just, was going to be a different type of movie, but yeah, I took it all very literally. Dumbass ten-year-old. The group reaches the control room where Lex uses a computer to restore the park's power. It's a Unix <laughs> system. I know this. Allowing Hammond to call for help. We got to stop for the raptor scene for a bit because them learning how to open doors, them jumping up on the tables. Like again, how like still have no fucking clue how they did it because it's like again real those are real raptors in a, in, a, in the kitchen and you cannot yeah. convince me otherwise the sign like, like yeah. the have you have you seen though the like 
the the pictures of the the guys actually in the raptor costumes. Yeah. Yep. Like there were actually guys like walking around in the, but yeah, I can't the, like the scene where it jumps on the kitchen counter. Like I cannot, okay. Real funny. Well, not, uh, not that funny, but a quick <laughs> childhood segue. Um, but I, so I remember in junior high, I had like sixth or seventh grade. Um, I was like a little bit of a late, late bloober. Um, but so I don't know, going like 13, 14, I was not wanting to let go of childhood. And so even junior high, when like everyone's like, I don't know, starting to become teenagers. My friend Cassie and I, who is the only friend I had that was as weird as I was, we would play Jurassic Park. Uh, I remember playing Jurassic Park in the in the PE, like in the gym center, and we, we just and the game was just basically one of us would pretend to be the raptor, usually me, <laughs> and I will tell this podcast why and then i'm gonna be really embarrassed about it it's probably tmi but um and then the other one would pretend to be timmy and we would just chase it was basically just a game of chag but whoever was timmy would like would drag their foot like when he's running around in the kitchen and his like foot's injured so we would just be like running around the locker room like timmy like with his like leg and so i again i I might ask you to edit this out, but we're going to try it. Um, I have a double jointed, I have double jointed toes. Like I can stick my, my big toe can, I can bend it all the way back at a 90 degree Let's angle, go for it. like straight up. I know I'm doing it. I'm going for it. We'll see. This is the real, this is the real meat and potatoes of the podcast. Everybody. We've, we've arrived. <laughs> this is what you really came for. But I, so I just, I, I didn't know it was weird, you know, until like the first time you show someone, they're like, what? Oh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> like, what? what do you think? But I can just like, literally, like I can give like two thumbs up with my big toe. They just, they bend 90 degree straight up. So my nickname was Raptor. I was like nicknamed Raptor by some of my friends. And so I would run around with my big toes up doing the leg tap tap like with my toes or Raptor while my friend would like be dragging like she's got a hurt ankle. And we're just like running around the locker room. And again, like this is when like, you know, most of the girls are like 13, like putting their lipstick on. I'm not trying to be like a pick me, you like, know, kid- like. Like kids are smoking cigarettes. Yeah, I just mean like I was a little late. <laughs> I got into those things later. Not trying to, yeah, like the yeah. girls were oh, makeup, but, but it's like the ridiculousness of my friend and I just like playing Jurassic Park. And we were just I know it's so. That, uh, <laughs> that's gonna be. I'm gonna like edit everything else out and just keep that part. <laughs> that's gonna be the whole that. podcast. It's just Jenny's, Jenny's double jointed toes yelling <laughs> Timmy in a uh, in a gymnasium. <laughs> Like, I feel um, like at some point I should get, like, a, a tattoo on my big toe of just, like, a little raptor claw or something. Yeah, you have to. It's, that's uh, we'll, we'll take all the earnings from this podcast episode <laughs> and, and put it towards that. Um, also, I have, to, I have to mention, it's something I always thought, is when they tricked the raptor with the door, uh, with, like, with the, um, the hatch that won't shut, you know, in the kitchen. That's um mm-hmm. the best like stainless steel polish that money can buy apparently because it's like <laughs> it's like the most reflective stainless steel of all time. Um, right? Uh, spared yes. no expense. Spared, yeah, must not have. Um, <laughs> so as the four try to escape the front entrance, they are cornered by the raptors. This is the part that I was talking about that like gets me where they are going through the vents and the raptor pops up in there. Oh, like yeah. I know it's coming every time, and it always. It always messes me up because it's not so much the coming through 
the um the vent it's it's when it falls down and they kick it down and it like scrambles mm-hmm. to its feet and jumps up again it's like oh go 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 you gotta get out of there um and that's just how you know it's just so masterful because you, you you know it's happening and it still like makes you curl up they're all cornered by raptors but they escape thanks to the sudden arrival of the t-rex who attacks and kills the raptors before striking a very dramatic pose for the <laughs> camera as the when dinosaurs rule the earth banner falls around so them. good uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg's just like, I'm so doing iconic. it. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I'm, just, like, I'm doing it. Go for it, man. Like, just go for it. You you needed that. Like, it, it's, I don't, I, that's, that's one of those, I mean, you can't, that's not, you can't even really call it fan service. There was no fandom when this, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> for all the, for all the banner fans out there, they were yeah. like, yeah, the banner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it could come off as inauthentic but it doesn't it just again it just that's to me i don't know i just it's such a great movie moment it's it's one of those things triumphantly uh as the banner flies it's just it's again i think it's perfect and i love i love how um like the little touches like the skeleton spinning with the raptors on them like just to Mm -hmm. chase down those and like just some awkwardness of it like how they're all kind of like struggling and like yeah it's it's very animalistic behavior where it's like they don't have the surest footing and everything it's like it's so it's so cool hammond arrives in a jeep with with malcolm and dr grant informs him that he will not in fact be signing off on his park and the group (laughs) boards a helicopter to leave the island um the music swells and everyone's lives change forever what else is there really to say about it do you have anything else to add about the movie itself i mean just that that even just the last shot is so perfect. Again, it's just this movie to me just hits all of the perfect beats, you know, like in this epic, you know, cheering moment with the T-Rex, but then ending on this very quiet, like, again, just in term, the way it feels real, like you just, as they're sitting, they're all dirty and muddy still and just, I don't know, like you just, you feel like you just went through this too. And yeah. One of the, the the shot, the giant wide shot of the of the pelicans flying over the water, and the it's oh yeah, and it's yeah exactly. It just it feels like you've been through the same experience with them, and it's just just a perfect like exhale and holding your breath for forty five minutes straight, basically, and then you finally just get to exhale with the rest of them. It's wonderful. Um, Jurassic Park, maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> one of the most iconic movies of all time, and just. Just one of the best. I, I I wanted to say if you don't like Jurassic Park, then fuck you. But I'll probably cut that part out. Um, this, yeah, I so. feel like it's also one of the ones where it's it's one of the few where I think most people would agree that it is better or as good as the book, which I feel like is a pretty short list of you know. I think in general the consent is usually the book's better than the movie, but I feel like this is one of those that people tend to agree that the movie's better than the book, or at least as good. That's a good point. The book is a lot more cynical and like um, a lot nastier and a lot more, a lot less heart. Um, yeah, which is like definitely Michael Crichton style, but that's, yeah, that's just. It's very... it's, I'm, I'm I'm glad they made the changes that they did. Um, yeah, it would have been. I mean, I remember reading the book. Like, it took me like. I think like two months to read the first like 10 chapters because I was just so bored. And sure. then once they got to the Island, I finished the rest of the book in like two days. Like couldn't. Put Absolutely. It down. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's really genius too how they take the science, all the scientific jargon from the book 
and basically decided to have a, a cartoon tell it to you. Very specific decision. And it's like, yes, everything you need to know, you don't need to, you just need to believe that this could happen, not have proved that it could happen. You can just yeah put any scientific jargon in there. And it sounds right to me. I'll talk about Jurassic Park for the rest of my life. It's, it's, it's imprinted on me almost more than any other movie. So, so before we move on and close this thing out, we still have to take care of the trials. So we're going to head there. Let the trials commence. So for this this run this edition of the trials, this one is uh, I, I think probably, and I'm sorry for this one of the one of the lamest ones that I've come up with, <laughs> and it's literally uh, are these dinosaurs real or fake? Did they exist or were they made up? Um, so do you think you uh, you're up to the challenge of naming some real or fake dinosaurs? I feel like I'm gonna be disappointed in myself, but I'm ready. I. I... I wish I could. We'll see how much of my ten-year-old dinosaur obsessed self can remember. But uh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's give it a go and see where you're at. Okay, the first one, the irritator. The irritator. Yeah. That I mean, that sounds so fake that I almost think you're trying to trick me. And that's a real one. <laughs> I'm gonna say that's a fake one, but it's real. Uh, the Irritator is a genus of spinosaur dinosaur that lived in what is now Brazil. Oh, um, it's called the Irritator? Yes. He also fights crime by night. Uh, <laughs> but it's just called it's just called the Irritator, yeah. It is uh, real. Here I thought for sure. I was like You think I'm still lying to you about that it? That feels like that feels like a fake I mean, that was that was a good one. That was a good one. I feel like you knew what you were doing. That that was a that was a tricky one to throw out. It sounds fake. The irritator. I Let's love see. It. Next one. The the Ritosaurus. Okay, that one. Do, I think that one's fake. It is fake. It's the fictional uh, dinosaur from the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Um, <laughs> so it's, that one's that. completely completely made up. Okay, the next one is Vastatosaurus Rex. This starts with a V. Vastatosaurus Rex. Yeah, V. That one V's I think is real. The, it's the name of the dinosaurs from uh, the Peter Jackson King Kong. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so not real? Not real. Dang. Made up. Okay. Um, they were the they were the biggest dinosaurs on Skull Island, though. So there you go. Um, I mean, it could be real. You can't prove a negative. Therefore, it's real to me. The next one, Uberabataton. I'm probably slaughtering these names, and there's some like dinosaur obsessed person out there that's like i'm gonna find him <laughs> yeah shaking their tracking this guy down <laughs> their headphones. okay why not i'm gonna say that one's real it's real uh it's a genus of titanosaurian sauropod dinosaur from the late cretaceous period also in brazil um oh. dang brazil i didn't realize brazil had that many species of dinosaurs the next one is yamaceratops yamaceratops Yama, like yam, like a, a sweet potato. Yamaceratops. <laughs> Yamaceratops. I think that one's fake. It's real. <laughs> no. uh, lived in lived in Asia and is a descendant of the Triceratops. Only I had actually decided to go become a paleontologist. <laughs> that was my ten year old plan. 
just so you could do better at a uh, podcast dinosaur quiz. I if only I had known that in my future I would be doing a Jurassic Park podcast, <laughs> I would have become a paleontologist instead of an art history major. <laughs> it's all... <laughs> It was all downhill from there. No. The roads that um, could have taken. Uh, there's three more left. The next one right. is Indominus Rex. Okay, because now I can't remember. I feel like that one's fa- like they made that one up for. I know that's from Jurassic World, but I feel like they made it. It was like a fictional one. They genetically spliced some stuff for that one. Yeah, it's made up. It's like a. It's okay. like a. Uh, it's like the hot dog of dinosaurs. It's just a little <laughs> bit of everything in there. Beckel Spinex. Beckel Spinex. If that's not real, that's just, I like that name. That's cool. So <laughs> I'm going to say it's real because I hope it is. It's real. It's a predatory theropod from the early Cretaceous period found in East Sussex, England. There you go. There's a lot of new dinosaurs. Are these just, I guess I just haven't paid attention to paleontology. <laughs> since, you know, I moved on to, to my... You know, my obsession switched to Star Wars, and I abandoned the dinosaurs. <laughs> Dang, this thing's yeah. cool. Sorry, I'm now looking these up as you, as you. No, I'm not cheating, but, like, I'm looking them up after you say After it. the fact? No, yeah, I've it's super cool. It's super too. cool looking. It looks kind of like a, it's like part snake, it looks like, almost. And our final one, Pietnitskisaurus. <laughs> I think that one's fake. No, it's real. Pietnitskisaurus <laughs> is a... Pianitzkisaurus is a genus of megalosauroid theropod dinosaur that lived 179 to 177 million years, years ago in Argentina. So those were all super tough ones. I, w- I w- you've, You got more right than I would have. Absolutely. So, um, I didn't do too bad. I will consider it a win if I got any right. So <laughs> You did. You did great. Uh, let's, let's close it out on a wholesome note. What's your favorite dinosaur of all time? Uh, my favorite. I, I have to go just with my childhood favorite which was i was just obsessed with that dilophosaurus i just thought they were so cool they apparently the spitter thing you know was completely made up but i just i loved at least in the movie the little sound little bird like sound they made and i don't know the the two the little crested head little i don't know dilophosaurus was my favorite i just thought they're cool i think it's a great choice very cool looking um, I'm, a, I'm a big ankylosaurus guy like the, All right. the guys with the like the weapon the medieval weaponry for a tail yeah it's like the big yeah the big uh ball and chain tail with a spiky back yeah Super i think cool. they have those in the in the lost world don't they yep i can't wait to talk about all the new dinosaurs in the lost world but that does it for our talk on jurassic park jenny thank you for uh for uh going on this journey with me being in awe of dinosaurs, running away from dinosaurs, and having the adventure of a lifetime. So I, I appreciate Thank you. Thank you it was, so much. It, it was fun to talk about it. Um, you, if you want to tell people where, where to find your votives one more time before we head out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jenny, Jenny with an IE, uh, Marie Studio on Instagram. And I think after this podcast, I am going to have to do another Jurassic Park inspired um votive collection so it's gotta happen (laughs) definitely gonna happen um but yeah thank you for allowing me to relive one of my favorite favorite parts of my childhood and thrilled to have you on can i suggest that one of the votives is a close-up of samuel jackson's mouth with a cigarette in it uh (laughs) 
<laughs> that should be one, one of the one of Hang the sequences. I'll butts. I'll buy I'll buy that one from you for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Thanks again. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram at b1m1pod, be our guest. Also, make sure you're following us, liking us, and subscribing to us on uh, Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. More people find the podcast. Make sure to ring the bell and uh, rate us five stars on Spotify. Follow us on there so you never miss an episode and get notified of every new episode of Best One since the next one. Next week, we're tackling the sequel to Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Thanks to Christian Cramo for our theme music. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.